Welcome to episode 37 of Developer Melange, the podcast about developing software in the 21st century directly from Vienna, Austria. Developer Melange brings you regular discussions about everything software development. You can find us online on developermelange.com and you can follow us on Twitter via at devmelange, that's dev, M-E-L-A-N-G-E. We are very keen on learning what you think about this show or the podcast itself. So please reach out for us on Twitter or leave your comments on our website. We appreciate all of your feedback. If you'd like to pay for our drinks in a future episode, coffee of course, please contact us. And now, here are your hosts. So I'm Peter Kofler. I'm the Code Cop, obviously I'm fanatic about clean code. Uh, my name is Christian Haas. I'm a developer who embraces extreme programming. And our guest today is Philip Crenn. Hi, Philip. Hi, thanks for having me. Hello. So, Philip, you are a developer advocate at Elastic, right? I am. I guess most people know you because you have been quite busy advocating, right? I, I'm doing my best. That's what You're I'm being paid for, basically. And Not just for uh, myself, but for my company. Also, uh, sorry. And your profile also says something about uh, community lead or community building. So what, what's that about? Let me take you through my story very quickly. Like five, six years ago at my previous job at a startup in Vienna, I, I got kind of bored and I, I kind of started to organize a lot of meetups in back then in Vienna. Like I started a group, Vienna DB, about databases because that's what I was always interested in. And I spoke at lots of other meetups. I started Papers We Love, which is like the thing you hated at university. You read an academic paper every month and then you discuss it. So I started that. And then I started to travel to more and more conferences throughout Europe. And at some point, I figured out that I should make this my full-time job. And through some coincidence, I saw that Elastic, the makers of Elasticsearch, Kibana, Logstash, Beats, probably know the company, um, they had an opening for an advocate and that's how I started to do meetups and conferences basically full-time. More recently, I've also switched a bit more into a team lead role to help other folks in Europe do the same thing that I have been doing for at Elastic for four and a half years now and quite a bit before um, on my own basically. So this is where I'm at and why I'm building communities in, in person or at least previously in person, and nowadays also a lot virtually, um, and that's where I met. To me, it sounded a little bit you're seeding communities even, not just building, but also seeding communities. Yes, so if somebody asks, like, this is actually kind of a common question, like, especially in a, in a company, people will always ask, like, community, why do we need you, or what do you do, or why do we have you, like, um, you just cost money and you don't bring in any revenue. And the, the way we normally try to explain it is that community is kind of like the seeds that you put out. And then only if you seed something, um, something will grow out of that. And maybe you will be able to harvest that later on. So the idea of community for a company normally is really just getting more users. And since we have the free versions of our software, the idea is really just, um, I always say like my goal are successful users and successful users can be either you don't know what we can do or you don't know some features and I try to show you something new, or I will try to help you fix your problems. So if at a meetup or we have our own discussion forum or on our Slack channel or on Stack Overflow, you have a question, 
we will try to come in and help you to make you successful because only if you're a successful free user, we might convert you to a cloud customer or a paying user mm -hmm. later on. Mm -hmm. And that's how you need to explain it to, for example, to your marketing or sales colleagues. This is like you're planting those seeds and help grow so they can actually harvest later on. Um, so I'm kind of like, often like the community team is like the first contact you have basically. So we are preparing and then others will come in. Because for example, we, I show you at a meetup or a conference what you can do with our software. And then you start using that in your company because it's free to use and you just start using it. And at some point it gets more relevant or it solves a problem. And then you actually realize, well, this is important and now we want support or there's some additional commercial features that you might want to add. Mm -hmm. And that's when we happily hand you over to our sales colleagues that, for example, or to our cloud service. But this is not really part of our direct thing. Like we might measure, we slowly start with that to be like, okay, we started something and that it generated some revenue, but it's not really a metric or a main metric for us. Like whatever happens later on is fine. It's just for me, it's mostly talking to as many developers or practitioners as we can and making them successful with our stack. And then later on, other things will hopefully happen. Mm -hmm. Just preparing the, the field. That's kind of like from a bit like a strategic or company perspective, that is where you are and where you want to be. Mm -hmm. so, it's a, so it's a marketing activity, basically. So um, the, the main difference between marketing and community, in my opinion, is that marketing is very much like sending out a message and it's very much a one-way street. Whereas community is very much a two-way street because what we do is, of course, we talk to people and then we see like this, this is broken or this is not working or this is missing. And it's very much like bringing stuff back to the company and to the products that you steer as well and give feedback. So it's more of a two-way communication, whereas marketing is very focused on like, this is the message that we push out to everybody, um, which works on your own channels. But especially if you go to other meetups or other conferences, you cannot just push out the marketing message because it might not be so well received. Where to put us in the organizational chart is a very different discussion. And the only thing that is constant at Elastic or probably at every fast growing company is that change is constant. And I have been all over the organizational chart so far. So I was I was hired in a DevRel team back then um, by one by one guy. And he decided he wants to become a, an engineer again. He wants to write more software and do less conferences. Um, and we were back under the CTO directly. And then he said, like, no, I don't want to do that anymore. And then we were broken up. And then all the advocates that we had back then would join an engineering team. Because of my background, which was more ops, I joined infrastructure. And then I was in infrastructure doing 20% infrastructure and 80% um, community work. Funnily enough, they. I, I started, like the change happened right before I started and I showed up on my first day virtually since we're fully distributed and as I basically like, here I am, you, you haven't interviewed me, you haven't hired me, but I'm here to join your team now. Um, <laughs> luckily, that, that worked out pretty well. And at some later point, we decided, well, we want to have like a community team and renamed community and we put that into the product team. And then our company decided a dedicated product team doesn't make sense. So we will break our product and put it into engineering. So we moved on to engineering. And at some later point, it was decided that engineering is too large and there are too many things going on in engineering already. So we will move community to marketing now. So like in the org chart right now, I'm in marketing. But to be honest, like from being hired under the CTO directly, then engineering, then product, then engineering, then marketing, the day-to-day -day job hasn't really changed. But I have been bumped over the organizational chart um, quite a bit. And the funny thing yeah. is, 
you end up on pretty much every mailing list where you have been and you're never being unsubscribed. So I, <laughs> I, I get half the emails of the company by now, I think. I think that's exactly what, what I meant, that it's like hard to pinpoint. And I was kind of teasing you with the marketing. For sure, marketing is one aspect. You mentioned some other aspects and I would like to come back because it's like so broad and um, some companies do it. Others don't understand why it's good. So you said marketing, everybody can understand it. But you also said like it's a getting feedback. So is it a kind of having a testers group or is it like... Um, but it's more than a beta testing group, right? Because it's a real users, but they are still on free plan. So, yes. So, I mean, we we don't really do much beta testing. Um, so it's more like we, since we are at so many events normally, or we see so many questions, we try to pick up things like that people might do wrong, and then it's like, okay, the documentation is bad, or there is some feature missing, or this is something that we might want to develop. Also, we have we call it sightings. It's like every time we see that somebody tweets about our, our software or a competitor or writes a blog post, we, we will collect it or send it there to a mailing list uh, for everybody to see. So we are kind of like bringing back like the, the outside view of what other people are doing with our software, which is with any open source software is often very surprising because you throw out some software and you have no idea who are your users and what are they even doing? And sometimes it's like, no, you really shouldn't do that. Or that's actually clever. We never thought about that. Um, you're holding it wrong. <laughs> yeah, the, you're doing it wrong is always like, as long as it works, is it wrong? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it's very unexpected. Like stuff happened, like, which is funny because Elasticsearch itself was started as full text search. And then people realized, for example, that all logs are also a search problem. So it wasn't the initial idea, but at some point you realize Storing the logs is kind of boring. What you want to do is you want to find something relevant in your logs. And that's actually a search problem. And that's kind of like how your products develop. And it's very much like what also comes from the outset where you see demand um, as a bigger company, new companies join and then like it's stuff grows and develops. And I don't know, maybe somebody had a, a grand vision years ago. I'm not so sure, but sometimes I have the feeling stuff just falls into place and develops. And then as community, you play kind of like the binding role to connect different people and communities and bring feedback and show people how to do stuff and also say like, no, this is this is like a bad idea and you don't want to do this or this is a bad idea for this reason or people keep complaining about this. So I think it's going more or doing more than marketing. Also, um, I still think that I know the products better than pretty much all of the people in marketing. Yeah, for sure. Because what you what you just said, that sounds more like a bit of product development, like piece of it. And I think you already said in the beginning that you have been part of the product team or department. So it's also reasonable, right? It's, um, yeah, th there are services where developer advocates or community team members are being asked, like, where are you in the organization chart? And it's pretty much all over. I think the place where it's bad is sales, especially if you're tied to some revenue goal. Because that, that sets you on the wrong path. Like it's just the wrong incentive. Um, because if somebody talks to me and says like, I have this use case and I might just say like, this is a bad use case for us. Like, don't do this. And I don't really feel it personally because it's not my revenue or anything. Yeah. But if you have this problem of like, oh, this is my revenue and I, I have a target that I need to reach. Like maybe I can tweak it to, to fit. Um, and I obviously, I know our products pretty well and I want them to be used, but I... I also try to know like the limitations and then not recommend them uh, to people because like I said, successful users is my goal. And if I recommend something that I know is broken, you won't be successful. 
and this won't work out in the long run. Yeah, I remember a talk I saw from you about security, and it's like uh, there's no point in in lying about uh, the product. And I think you even said something. Some things are not okay, but we are working on it. Yeah, that's fine, right? So that's that's how it is. So it's really interesting. Also, some things you said that sounded like first level support, basically, but more proactive. So you know, if you see a lot of people do the same mistake, you have submitting a talk to avoiding these mistakes. It's a kind of support, right? I mean, of course. So. Um... I'm very careful to not call it support because support always people have like an SLA or response time in mind. And yeah. that sometimes on, on Stack Overflow or Discuss, um, I don't want to say there are bad questions, but there are better and worse questions. And, and sometimes people get very angry that their questions don't get answered. And it's just like, because this is a very, yeah, it's not a very helpful question. Like there's so much information missing and it's very yeah. hard to guess what you want to do. So it's very hard to help you. Support will need to work through that um, since we are really best effort, like make it easy for us to help you because then your chances will increase drastically. But yes, so we will try to pick up like how can we avoid the problem by fixing the product or the, the documentation. And of course, we try to answer questions a lot. Um, and, you know, our favorite company saying is it depends, which I think is true for pretty much any piece of complex software. <laughs> um, and I know it's also the favorite answer of any consultant because afterwards they start billing a lot of money um, for for helping you out the, what, on what it depends. Um, I think you always need to define like what are the trade-offs. Um, but unfortunately, it is oftentimes that it depends a bit on what is the right answer or solution. Yeah, the, your you journey. said we. So is that, uh, again, Christian, I stopped you, please. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> Uh, the, the, yeah, the, this is the part where, where, we, where we enjoy or uh, well struggle with online. So it's the, the immediate response that is missing. So, yeah, because um, otherwise you would kick me below the table or something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so as for, as for your journey, Philip, the journey in terms of where, where you are in the org chart, this, at least for, from my outside view and large organizations where it's pretty much static and okay any move is being proclaimed by i don't know large company meetings and it's uh, next two two years or three years plan what have you from the outside it feels and seems like this is the typical style of let's say upstart or startup um, agile organizations it, it fits into the i would say mentality so generally um back when i started i think elastic was 320 people or so so i i didn't start super early but 300 something people and it was a very different company where we are now we are a public company we have 2000 something um, employees and of course things change a lot we try to keep this more i don't know startup e mentality on the other hand i don't think there is any denying that when when you're a public company like accounting just works very differently and 2000 people also means like Communication is much different than with 300 people. And like there are so many people who are responsible for something or trying to take care of something. It's just like some stuff is getting much harder. Of course, you have many more things you can rely on. And as a company, you can move more stuff because you're larger. But of course, there are also downsides to that size. And yeah, everybody would say like, oh, we, we kept our culture and we kept growing um, to some degree. Um, but I also don't think there is any denying that once you're couple of thousand people, things are different than when you were a couple of hundred. It's it's just no way around it. Sure. So you said that the mentality, or at least it's, it's people say that the mentality has been kept, though, like you also say, it's it's a different reality now. 
would you still say that you still need to be a fast-changing small company to have started as such to have some sort of an edge when you get larger? No, it, it's a virtue you want to keep. Um, mm. So you don't want to be, I don't know, I don't want to pick on IBM. On, on the other hand, I want to pick on IBM. Um, so the, it's like you're, you're not like this huge thing that is um, very much living off the products from 20 or 30 years ago. I don't think you want to become that. Um, on the other hand, it is oftentimes what is kind of like the success of the past is almost uh, the enemy of the future because you have these very successful products and then you're very much stuck on them and supporting them and not hurting them maybe. So we obviously try to kind of like eat our own children that we have a product and then we might just replace the product um, to, to keep us like on the edge and move forward. On the other hand, especially if you have more enterprise customers, they will be very upset by that. If you have a more or less frequent release cycle and breaking changes or like changing products, um, enterprises will not be super happy about that. So it's kind of like, at first it's easy because you have startups and everything is new and you start new and everything grows. And at some point you need to kind of like break, have breaking changes, it gets more complicated. And developers might accept that, but once it gets more enterprisey, it's probably harder because there you need to justify every change and every cost. And maybe they have like these five year plans of software and we don't have a release that is supported for five years. And I'm not sure you want to have that because that will really kind of like lock you down to stuff. Mm -hmm. So, and for this then, at least I, I, and I'd like to ask Peter on, on such experience. Do you, Peter, have some, some of your clients which had to transition from either being a smaller or a quickly changing company to a larger one and or struggle with, say, other companies that are of a different mentality? I'm not sure if I get the question. I have... Uh... For example, one of my clients was growing rapidly first through an acquisition, so it was uh, like uh, brought in a lot into a larger company and it keeps keeps changing. Not sure if that was a question. So then a lot of things have to change, but that's basically what you said, Philip. Right? So we need that's the other side. Uh, now you have the structure, but also you need the structure when you are growing because you need some ops department because not everybody can can manage their machines uh, anymore and and you will have dedicated HR and when you will have support and all this. Um, and people who have been there from the beginning struggle and it's getting more complicated for them. But I'm not sure that wasn't your question, Christian, right? Well it goes in the direction because I'm I'm curious as for the, the, the evolution of, of companies in this regard or groups if you will. By then extent also communities. Because if, if you have the, the small company, which is, well, agile enough to adapt to whatever new challenges are or whatever they, you throw at them or they want to achieve, I would see it similar with communities as well. If you have a smaller community, they have, well, they're also like a small organization, just not based on, on revenue, I would say, just <laughs> on a very, very rough comparison. I have and a thought here that, that is like fighting against agility or however we call it staying that dynamic that you are when you are small because most people immediately ask for governance and which is security but that's destroying everything so in the end you end up like a bank or ibm so you need like 17 people signing off the deployment so you're only doing the deployment every three years because it's too complicated uh, they're not doing that for fun they ended there because of reasons, because people ask for that. 
Mm-hmm. And that's and what I see with my clients. So when they are growing and they need the governance, they need some uh, some pooled resources, they need all that, but the implementation is always the classic, have a testing department, have an obstacle. So that's, and that's working against Agile, I think. So the, the first, um, the gut idea also of managers is if I need something, I create a department for that, which sounds fine, but that's not what, I guess what you're looking for is an agile with capital A company that is like total different, like GitHub was supposed to be in the mm. early time. And uh, so then with the combination or at least the, the, the comparison that I draw with with the communities, Philip, would you see something similar at you as, a, as an advocate then that you have to, I don't know, take care of some uh, small communities or at least seed them as discussed before and then you have I don't know big meetup groups where you have 200 people showing up and all different sorts of questions and not converging somehow I I think it really it kind of like as I said it depends um, so some <laughs> some of our communities for example are, are very old like the groups have been like Elasticsearch is approximately 10 years old and the communities are maybe like 9 years old and they have grown over time and are well established. And in other places, for some reason, nobody really started it. And then you have a much younger community um, or newer, and then it's newer and exciting. Whereas sometimes it's hard to kind of like keep the old communities going because you had a hundred meetups and you have discussed every possible topic and everybody has basically seen enough of all the other people on, the, on that group. Um, so you kind of have that refreshing problem maybe at some point. Um, on the other hand, there are also lots of new people coming in, which then creates the problem like a lot of people have been around basically forever and they have like a lot of knowledge to build on and then a lot of newcomers. And then you kind of need to find something that keeps everybody engaged in mm-hmm. a single meetup, for example. Now, so the it's, typical question, what kind of talks do you take? Beginner talks or expert talks? Yeah. And how do you kind of have something like I would always say like have a mix so you have something for everybody. Um, but that's easier said than done. Yeah, I think that's pretty hard. And usually, at least on, on Cogitreads and what I do, you have to go on beginner side because it's like 50% are maybe first timers even or beginners. And then it's getting less interesting for, for very advanced or expert people, right? So do you see that, that the expert people then drop out from the community or at least from, from the meetups joining and staying more in the background than Maybe. I mean, a lot of it is also driven on like if you do it as your day job and then you kind of like it's not so much your own interest anymore, but it's like this is required or helpful for your day job. And then you are either staying involved or maybe you move on because you're doing something else now. I think it's of course, the community is nice, but a lot of it is also driven by people just doing what is kind of like necessary or it's just intriguing them right now. So it's very hard to predict and some are kind of like sticking around forever and others just move on later on. Okay, you mean, uh, is it because like in the case of Elasticsearch, it's seen like a product or a utility library or however you want to place it, you put it once, I would say, in your product, you learn how you, how you integrate it and how you use it to some degree, and then you're done with it. You don't need to touch it again. Whereas in, I don't know, from comparison in a meetup group, it's about programming language. There's always a new version of a programming language that you can discuss, a new library version, what have you. Um, would this be then one of the, the reasons why people drop out 
or what, what said differently, what keeps people coming back uh, to meetups in such cases? Oh, it's just fixing whatever problems they have. I, I, ah, so, okay. so, or, or maybe, maybe for me, it's no problems as in like either fixing bugs or mm -hmm. improving performance, but of course also feature-wise. Um, but maybe I'm I, I'm not a, like a meetup romantic um, in, in that regard. For me, it's always like this is something that either interests me personally or professionally, and that for me is the driver. Um, and I, I know some people are very much like, oh, they they have the best pizza or they have the most beer at the meetup and i'm always like this for me is not the driver to go to a meetup like may maybe for some people it's it's different but um i'm very kind of like focused on the essentials of course because time is too short like uh time compared to a beer or pizza that's uh, like the pizza always loses maybe if you're a student yeah okay there are jokes that i think in san francisco um you could have a free meal and drink every evening, or maybe even in Vienna at some point. I mean, now with the virtual <laughs> meetups, it's kind of unfortunate, um, but you you could have like free evening entertainment every day, even in Vienna, maybe. Yeah, I guess there were enough meetups uh, in general. Not all of them had sponsored uh, food, but you could. And for some time, I was, uh, like 2014, I was... Uh, Visiting a lot of meetups, so yeah, and it's nice. It's nice to be there. It's nice to meet the people again. And, uh, right? So, I I just really dislike the pizza that is being served at meetups because I probably have eaten way too much, and it's normally like maybe it was good pizza initially, but it has been like being transported there and sitting around for thirty minutes, and then mm. it's like this lukewarm pizza that is going stale, and like I've had so much of this that. If I can pick any food, um, even in a restaurant by now, it's not pizza anymore because of that. Um, <laughs> but that, that's probably a personal thing. Okay, so coming back to oh, your, yeah. to your uh, role as, as, an, as an advocate, the group or the, the position in the org chart was moved regularly. Is, is the description of what you do, has this also changed? Or was it also from the beginning you were essentially seeding the information to the people? No, I think my my position has like the it has changed very little. Maybe the the understanding and how others see us a bit, um, but I think that the main job goal hasn't changed much. Of course, the the tools that we're using and the areas that we focus on have have changed over time, and also a bit like the the audience that we try to target. Um, but the the general idea is still very much the same. And for example, my approach is mostly like oh there's an interesting problem or I see a problem recurring and then I might just turn that into a talk or a blog post or a video or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so that's normally what drives me or or sometimes you just have to to jump on some hot stuff um, because everybody wants that. So you need to talk about Kubernetes and operators or observability or whatever um, because at some places you need to just have the right buzzwords otherwise um, it doesn't work. And then you need to structure your own story around the buzzwords um <laughs> yeah right. it's own art okay so for, for me this sounds like uh, pretty much any company can benefit of a developer advocate if they have some sort of a free plan am i right I on mean, this even even if you don't really have a free plan or if you just have a paid cloud service they will still have developer advocates often like if you have mm -hmm. like more of a commercial tool you will often talk more about like on a conceptual level and then you will throw in like two or three screenshots of how you happen to do that because at 
free events or external events, at least it's often not so well perceived if you show something commercial. Mm -hmm. um, but it's generally to just keep that low level engagement. I, I think like community uh, or advocates come in where marketing is basically not getting that far because developers seem to be um, mm -hmm. very sensitive to marketing content and they they feel that somebody is trying to push something on me. And, and it's very much like it's not this two-way communication, but it's just like sending your way and mm -hmm. use this. And people are very sensitive and will just get out of that or avoid a discussion with sales. And we're kind of like the, the friendly face to that. Like we'll have a, a proper discussion and we will say, okay, this is a bad idea. Or this is the wrong tool. Um, but it's really to, to have just a, an additional way of communication, basically, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's like the, the opposite side, the dark side of sales or sales is the dark side of community building. But dark is like weird, but it's like two sides of the same coin. No? Yes, because in the end, um, somebody has to pay my salary because I, I would like to mm. be paid for my work as well. So um, I, I think that's sometimes a bit tricky because people run around and like, oh, we all do all of this for goodwill and because we're such a nice company and whatever. But in the end, as a company, you have normally the goal to make some money or at least to be sustainable in some form. So um, I, I'm not always buying into like the, the nice story that people tell around it. Um, of course, we are like open source, we're a distribution channel. I think we also would say that open source, for example, for us as a company is a distribution channel. It's just mm -hmm. like seeding a very large pool of users and then a small fraction of that you can monetize by converting them to being a cloud user or selling them commercial features or selling them consulting and training and whatever. Um, so it's kind of like you have this very large base and then you build on top of that. But that's kind of like part of the distribution stream. And that's kind of probably the very honest answer. And maybe some people don't want to hear this or see it that way. But I, I think that's um, kind of what you are as a community team. You, you provide this space and you prepare the field, like you plant the seeds. Well, you get me you, to some degree. You get me excited about the idea of an advocate. I have no idea what I would be advocating, <laughs> and whether or not I find a company that pays me for that. <laughs> well, I I really like the position. Um, uh, in the end, I need to be careful what I'm saying. I I don't want to say like we're doing what we want. Um, we we are doing what we think is right. Um, may, maybe that's the best way to put it. So we think like this is something that gets people excited, or this is what people do wrong, or where we could solve a problem. And this is basically where you go in. And it, it's really, for me, it's mostly about like the problem. Like this is something we can solve because people don't use you because, oh, you're a nice company. I mean, maybe maybe if your CEO plays golf with somebody, that's how the tech decision is being made in your company. And then I'm sorry for you. Um, but normally, ideally, the developers can pick what solves their needs. And we try to help them or show them our way. I think that's the, the way I would describe it. And uh, Christian, I, I see your point because you started advocating the coding dojo, basically, uh, in, in, in Vienna many years mm -hmm. ago. And we are still trying to do that with the code retreats, with the software craft um, community ideas. So that's like that's So we are kind on the turn in our life when it's to give back, right? So uh, maybe. I wouldn't like to do that when I was younger, or like like you did that, Philip. But there is a certain time when also it comes in to share and teach of this material, which also includes like kind of 
free trainings. So I would do a sole training, but maybe I also do a free version on the meetup. And I won't get anything for that. And probably there's no business coming out of it. So <laughs> uh, usually there's no business. So let's, uh, for me, like on the training, uh, there's no business coming out of it. But on the other side, what you were saying, seeding, one guy told me when uh, he, he was doing a lot of talks and community and blah, blah, blah. And I told him if he's paying off, he said he doesn't know. He only knows one thing. When he did little, little happened. And when he did a lot, a lot happened. So, I mean, that, I, I think that's very much true for us as well, that it's not such a direct path. It's not like I do a meetup in Vienna and three months later, somebody will buy a license or get the cloud service it's it's not that direct it's more like this indirect like seeding and then at some point later on maybe it grows and you can harvest it or not um, but i think it's kind of common that you need to put your content or yourself out and then it at some point through maybe some weird way it will pop up and get to the right thing or people don't have a need for something right now but you've shown it to them and one and a half years later they remember that i've seen something like that and then they will pick up on it and it's probably very hard to attribute it back to mm. the specific event, which is generally also a problem for community teams, because sometimes it's very hard to show like this was us generating that revenue. Um, what is very dangerous there, by the way, I think, is if you try to have like this, you, you need to show that you have generated it because then you only focus on stuff that you can prove mm. and not doing the right thing anymore, which may be indirect and you might not be able to track it. Um, but you might miss a lot of opportunities if you just do things that you can measure and track afterwards. Mm -hmm. well, well, it's, 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 it's so anathema to the company, like on the business. So when I did it for my own, I just did it because I, I wanted to do it and I thought it was right. Like you said, how you started the story with uh, setting up the meetup, probably because you want to work in the topic or have discussions around it as a private person. And many of the meetups are are unlike that so then you can do the right thing right? because there's no question it's i wasn't i wasn't even self-employed so there was not even an idea of business could come up then it's uh shiny and and like sacred or whatever you call it right so the interesting uh way that you walk here so do you think you kept this uh this idea of you that you want to do this community work, that you want to reach people, that you still have that after like you made it your job? I hope so, but I'm probably not the best, best person to judge it. But I do enjoy like community work a lot. Um, and I must say, for example, what right now, what I find tough is that virtual events, for example, are just not the same. Mm. It's, it's really just not the same. Like I have done so many virtual events over the past couple of months and it's just a different connection or level. Like mm -hmm. as a company, you love virtual events because you can reach a huge amount of people. Um, it scales very well. It's very cheap to run. Um, so as a company, it's great. But that on a personal level for me is um, very tricky because it's just very different. Um, it's oftentimes you you feel like you talk into the void, like you have your microphone, your camera, and you just talk, 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 and then you. It goes back to the the marketing as a as a one way communication again. It, it's very hard to have this two way communication because mm -hmm. if if I have like an audience and a, an engaged audience that will just raise their hand and say like, hey, I have a question, and then you can kind of like 
go off topic basically. It's much harder to recreate it in a virtual setting. Um, just like with the three of us, as we've seen, like in person, it would have been much easier to jump in and you wouldn't talk over each other. Um, even with three people, this is hard. And then you have like an audience of 50 people. So it's just not possible to, to have like that same thing, um, yeah. which is a shame. And I wish there was a solution. I'm not, I'm not sure we'll be able to find that too soon. Well, this is a niche problem. So dear listeners, if you have a business proposition, <laughs> the world needs solutions. <laughs> Definitely. Um, well, in, in that case, so we, it would already be a good segue to the next topic so uh, and section. So thank you, Philip, for giving us an overview of, of community work and being a developer advocate. As for, well, online events and, and communities also now locally in Vienna and or online, what is happening in Vienna these days? Do we have anything new to report? Okay. What is going on with your meetups? So my my personal meetups, uh, Vienna DB and Papers We Love, which were always in person, are in hibernation until we can do them in person again. And I, to be honest, I have very little interest doing them virtually because it's just not the same thing. Um, the the company ones we are of course doing because we want to keep the engagement going, and we have like a we call it EMEA virtual. So for anybody who speaks English in that time zone, we will just do at least once a week a virtual meetup. Um, and I feel like this is generally a bit of a trend that like what is personally in organized or out of interest, which is very much like local and just the connection that people have mostly stopped those because it's not possible right now. Um, whereas the company driven events um, are happening because, well, somebody is being paid to do that and that's mm. just why they're there. And I feel like the same is also happening to some degree for, for conferences that the smaller or more community driven ones are like, this is not the kind of event we want to run and we are also not earning our salary with that. So we'll just skip this year or wait until it's possible again. Whereas if it's more corporate, then of course you're doing that. Um, which, I mean, some events are very professional and that's great, um, but sometimes it just doesn't have the same vibe or feel to it. And it feels like very much like the corporate takeover because you, this is just what you're doing. Mm. Well, at least for the the uh, meet the go meetup, I can't rem remember whether I uh, said this the last episode. Uh, uh, at least the online variant gave us the opportunity to in to include an um, um, speaker from from America, for instance, who was uh, open to do a whole, uh, who was open to hold uh, talks in various type meetups. So they wrote out on, on, on Twitter, they are free for a whole entire month for any meetup. And well, I connected them. And so, yeah, we had an American speaker in the Viennese Golang meetup. Yeah, that's the advantage also that you have more, more choices now, right? So I can, uh, recently I attended a, a coding dojo by the Softworks Kama Berlin. Uh, I know some people because I have been in Berlin for, for coding trades, but that's like nice. And there one other people as well, like there was a guy from Munich that I knew, so that's that's nice. Um, it's more options, but I totally agree, Philip. It's like not meeting, like taking off of, of the meetup away, right? Maybe even more because of the hallway conversations. I mean, it's it's great that there are opportunities, and also in terms of scale and everything, it it's great. It's just like a different level, and maybe it also depends a bit where are you like in at work. Because with my current role, I probably have 10 to 15 regular calls a week already. And then like doing another evening of 
like a virtual meetup is just not very appealing anymore. It's just like I'm, mm. I'm done with video calls. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I see that. It's like the Zoom fatigue or something. I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same. Like I'm not, I'm not participating anywhere. Maybe we're just getting old, Peter. <laughs> oh, maybe. Thank you. So we would have to ask Christian how he's feeling about that because he's not that old. Yet. <laughs> I, I just assume that Christian is younger than us. So while I was talking to you, I noticed that um, given the experience, the technical content is getting less interesting. Because there are less new things than maybe when I started doing something. It doesn't mean it's not interesting at all, but it's like less interesting. And the, the people and the network and like meeting friends or kind of friends for definition of friends, it's getting more important and that's missing. So I, then we're not doing it, right? Maybe it's for me that at first when you're, you have less experience, you're so focused on some detail um, that you're just just find this interesting, like this is the technical detail and how, how do I do this? And then as as you kind of mature, maybe you get a broader picture and then it's not so much like focused about this detail because maybe you have a general understanding of it mm -hmm. and you want to see like it more holistically. I, I I still love the technical details and I think it's great, for example, for, for a blog post and if somebody has that specific problem, that's, that's a great way to approach it. Um, but you also want to have like the bigger picture at some point. It's you, I always have the feeling like at conferences, like the, the old dudes are always talking about something very high level and abstract. And depending on where you are in your career, that might be either very interesting or it might be just like too high level. And you're like, no, this is not proper anymore. Or this is just like the different worlds colliding. Mm -hmm. The old dudes. Have you been to such conferences? Like that, that would be interesting. Where, where from your perspective, old tools, we are talking about some monad stuff or maybe even all the things. I mean, of course, um, but for me, it's not, not so much like Mona, but I mean, Mona is a, that's still very technical and like a very specific topic. It's more like the, sometimes I have the feeling that there are some people who are very much on like, let's talk about architecture and like the bigger picture and just mm -hmm. the, the communication between um, everything. Whereas oftentimes, of course, there are exceptions, uh, the younger folks will be like, this feature in Java or this new release in Java, or or I might speak about like this new feature in this data store or Elasticsearch or whatever. Um, so it's kind of like an on a very different abstraction level and like what is kind of like important in the bigger picture. But I think it also changes like where you are, like what is kind of like the reach of where, where you are in the company. Either you're very much in the details or you have like the bigger picture um, and need to coordinate and keep, I don't know, complexity in bounds for a bigger part. And it's not just that one piece that you work on right now. So it comes back to it depends then. It depends where you are. And <laughs> of course, uh, it depends on where you are and uh, yeah. what your experience is and where you see the problems and probably your own organization and your tech stack and what you want to keep doing in the future. Um, but it's just like a development that you, your perspective will change over time. I'm pretty sure of that. Mm. So, well, thank you for that. And as a final point, uh, Philip, do you have anything where you would like to point our listeners to? So it's pretty much your minute of advertisement. Yes. So if you, 
if you want to follow me on Twitter, um, my my Twitter handle is complicated. It's X E R W. We will link it. Yes, please link it. The background story to that is um, my my last name is Kren K R E double N. And if you use rot thirteen, not sure you're old enough to remember that. Peter probably is um, to rotate the letters by thirteen. That's how you get to Xera. And um, the nice thing about the rot thirteen is, since there are twenty six letters in the alphabet, if you rotate it by thirteen again, you're back at the original. Um, and it used to be very common on the internet if you had the spoiler for a movie or you were searching for some illegal software or whatever, uh, you would rot thirteen um, encode it. I don't want to say decrypt. Um, and then nobody would accidentally read or find that. Um, mm -hmm. And I just found it very clever um, that it's more or less pronounceable if you do that with my last name. And that's how I, I got to that. Um, that's the, the background story for that. Because people are very confused sometimes by what is this and um, what does it stand for and why that. Right. And now it lost the magic. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure it lost the magic. It's. I still think it's kind of like good because it is. it is kind of unique and it still has a connection to me so it's not totally random so for, for me that those are kind of like two good attributes and it's yeah it's relatively unique that's true <laughs> thank you philip for uh, being a uh, recording for the episode thanks for having me for all of us uh, see you in about well four weeks when we will again team up for another cup of delicious developer minage